Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. I'm Brad Constantine, and this discussion is going to be about 2 Nephi chapter 6. <clears throat> so now the Nephites are settled in the land of Nephi, and as I mentioned, they're just not far enough away from the Lamanites. But nevertheless, <clears throat> they're beginning to be established there. <clears throat> they have the priesthood among them, and uh, Jacob and Joseph have been ordained. Now, it's interesting, uh, as we get into verse 1 here, that uh, it sounds like this might even be a general conference session that they're at because Jacob is going to be giving a talk. Now, this chapter 6 is a setup for uh, some chapters in Isaiah that are going to be quoted. Uh, and so you'll notice at the very end of the chapter here that there's a couple of quotes right directly from Isaiah. So let's go ahead and get into this one. This one is quite got a lot of information here. Uh, verse 1, the words of Jacob, the brother of Nephi, which he spake unto the people of Nephi. Behold, my beloved brethren, I, Jacob, having been called of God and ordained after the manner of his holy order. Now, remember that uh, whenever it says like this holy order, they're talking about Melchizedek priesthood. The phrase his holy order is reminiscent of the full name of the Melchizedek priesthood or the holy priesthood after the order of the Son of God. And that was from Doctrine and Covenants 107 verse 3. This was the priesthood held by the Nephites, although there were, there were descendants of Manasseh and Ephraim and Judah among the Nephites, there was not any of the blood of Levi. Therefore, they did not hold the Levitical or Aaronic priesthood. And as we mentioned before, Elder McConkie said it should be noted that, the, that those consecrated priests and teachers among the Nephites were not receiving offices in the lesser priesthood, for there was no Aaronic priesthood among the Nephites from the time Lehi left Jerusalem down to the ministry of Christ among them. Continuing verse 2, And having been consecrated or set apart by my brother Nephi, unto whom ye look as a king or a protector, and on whom ye depend for safety, behold, ye know that I have spoken unto you exceedingly many things. Nevertheless, I speak unto you again, for I am desirous for the welfare of your souls. He truly cares about those he serves. Yea, mine anxiety is great for you, and ye yourselves know that it ever has been. For I have exhorted you with all diligence, and I have taught you the words of my Father. And I have spoken unto you concerning all things which are written upon the plates of brass from the creation of the world. Jacob had already been pretty diligent in teaching them. Verse 4, And now behold, I would speak unto you concerning things which are and which are to come. Wherefore, I will read you from the brass plates the words of Isaiah. And they are the words which my brother has desired that I should speak unto you. So this makes it sound like Nephi is presiding here at this conference and having Jacob be the speaker. And I speak unto you for your sakes, that ye may learn and glorify the name of your God. And now the words which I, and, and before I read the next verse, I, I need to ask the question, why is it so important to understand Isaiah and to study his words? Verse 5, and now the words which I shall read, that I shall read, are they which Isaiah spake concerning all the house of Israel. Wherefore they may be likened unto you, for ye are of the house of Israel. And there are many things which have been spoken by Isaiah, which may be likened unto you, because ye are of the house of Israel. Back in, uh, and then just quoting from Second Nephi chapter 11, it says, And now I, Nephi, write more of the words of Isaiah, for my soul delighteth in his words. Of the importance of the prophecies of Isaiah, 
The Bible Dictionary states, Isaiah is the most quoted of all the prophets, being more frequently quoted by Jesus, Paul, Peter, and John in his revelation than any other Old Testament prophet. Likewise, the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants quote from Isaiah more than from any other source, from any other prophet. The Lord told the Nephites that great are the words of Isaiah, and that all things Isaiah spake of the house of Israel and of the Gentiles would be fulfilled. The reader today has no greater written commentary and guide to understanding Isaiah than the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants. As one understands these works better, he will understand Isaiah better. And as one understands Isaiah better, he more fully comprehends the mission of the Savior and the meaning of the covenant that was placed upon Abraham and his seed, by which all the families of the earth would be blessed. Continuing on from uh, the other scripture that I was reading before, for I will liken his words unto my people, and I will send them forth unto all my children, for he verily saw my Redeemer, even as I have seen him. That was from 3 Nephi 23. I'm sorry, then now 3 Nephi 23 says, And now behold, I say unto you that ye ought to search these things, yea, a commandment. This is more than just a suggestion. I give unto you that ye search these things diligently, for great are the words of Isaiah. And from Bruce R. McConkie, if our eternal salvation depends upon our ability to understand the writings of Isaiah as fully and truly as Nephi understood them, and who shall say that such is not the case, how shall we fare in that great day when Nephi, with, with Nephi we shall stand before the pleasing bar of him who said, Great are the words of Isaiah. It just may be that my salvation, and yours also, does in fact depend upon our ability to understand the writings of Isaiah as fully and truly as Nephi understood them. For that matter, why should either Nephi or Isaiah know anything that is withheld from us? Does not that God who is no respecter of persons treat his children alike? Has he not given us his promise and recited to us the terms and conditions of his law pursuant to which he will reveal to us what he has revealed to them? Verse 2 of that says, For surely he spake as touching all things concerning my people, which are of the house of Israel. Therefore, it must needs be that he must speak also unto the Gentiles. The gathering of Israel includes the invitation to the Gentiles to gather with Israel. Now back to our reading in, in chapter 6, verse 6. And now these are the words, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles, and set up my standard to the people. The Lord prophesied through Isaiah that in the last days he would set up his standard to the people of the earth. This, this standard evidently refers to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as is indicated in this statement by President Marin G. Romney. This church is the standard which Isaiah said the Lord would set up for the people in the latter days. This church was given to be a light to the world and to be a standard for God's people and for the Gentiles to seek to. This church is the ensign on the mountain spoken of by the Old Testament prophets. It is the way, the truth, and the life. And that was from a commentary, uh, conference report of 1961, which was quoted by Daniel Ludlow. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders, and kings shall be thy nursing fathers. I'm quoting now, this is quoting from uh, Isaiah 40, 49. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. Kings and queens may refer to those endowed in the temple. They shall bow down to thee with their faces towards the earth, and lick up the dust of thy feet, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. For they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. Verses 6 and 7 were from Isaiah 49, 22 and 23. And now I, Jacob, would speak somewhat concerning these words. For behold, the Lord has shown unto me those who were at Jerusalem, from whence we came, have been slain and carried away captive. Jacob first tells of the destruction and scattering of Israel, then of the promise of the gathering and restoring of Israel. 
Verse 9, Nevertheless, the Lord has shown unto me that they should return again. And he also has shown unto me that the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, should manifest himself unto them in the flesh. And after he, would, he should manifest himself, they should scourge him and crucify him according to the words of the angel who spake it unto me. And after they have hardened their hearts and stiffened their necks against the Holy One of Israel, behold, the judgments of the Holy One of Israel shall come upon them, and the day cometh that they shall be smitten and afflicted. Wherefore, after, these, after they are driven to and fro, for thus saith the angel, many shall be afflicted in the flesh, and shall not be suffered to perish because of the prayers of the faithful. They shall be scattered and smitten and hated. Nevertheless, the Lord will be merciful unto them, that when... They shall come to the knowledge of their Redeemer. They shall be gathered together again to the lands of their inheritance. Jacob wrote of lands of inheritance rather than a land of inheritance. It is, a reasonable, it is reasonable to suppose that God has entered into special covenants with many of whom, many to whom he has promised various lands as a symbol of the future inheritance that will be theirs if they are faithful in keeping the covenants of, of this estate. And that was from the documentary, documentary co uh, commentary of the Book of Mormon. Much of the old Jewish bitterness against Christ has ceased. Many now accept him as a great rabbi, though not the Son of God. A few have accepted him in the full sense, coming into the true church. But the great conversion of the Jews, their return to the truth as a nation, is destined to follow the second coming of their Messiah. And that was from mortal or from Mormon doctrine, Rousseau McConkie. Verse 12, And blessed are the Gentiles, they of whom the prophet has written. For behold, if it so be that they shall repent and fight not against Zion, and do not smite themselves, and do not unite themselves to that great and abominable church, they shall be saved. A temporal rather than a spiritual salvation is spoken of in this verse. The promise extended to those who do not fight against Zion is not exaltation, but rather an assurance that they will not be destroyed when the wicked perish. And that is from Dr. Doctrinal Commentary of the Book of Mormon. Continuing verse 12, For the Lord God will fulfill his covenants, which he has made unto his children, and for this cause the prophet has written these things. Wherefore, they that fight against Zion and the covenant people of the Lord shall lick up the dust of their feet, and the people of the Lord shall not be ashamed. For the people of the Lord are they who wait for him, for they still wait for the coming of the Messiah. Verse 14, And behold, according to the words of the prophet, the Messiah shall, will set himself again the second time to recover them. In other words, the restoration of Israel. Wherefore, he will manifest himself unto them in power and great glory, unto the destruction of their enemies. When that day cometh, when they shall believe in him, and none will he destroy that believe in him. Not many of the Jews, I take it from my reading of the scriptures, this is from Joseph Filling Smith, will believe in Christ before he comes. The Book of Mormon tells us that they shall begin to believe in him. They are now beginning to believe in, in him. The Jews today look upon Christ as a great rabbi. They have accepted him as one of their great teachers. They have said that he is Jew of Jew, the greatest rabbi of them all. As one has stated it, when the gospel was restored in 1830, if a Jew had mentioned the name of Christ in one of, their, one of the synagogues, he would have been rebuked. Had a rabbi referred to him, the congregation would have arisen and left the building. And so we see the sentiment has changed. Now I state this on Jewish authority, that they are beginning to believe in Christ, and some of them are accepting the gospel. But in the main, they will gather to Jerusalem in their unbelief. The gospel will be preached to them. Some of them will believe. Not all of the Gentiles have believed when the gospel has been proclaimed to them, but the great body of the Jews 
who are there assembled will not believe or will not receive Christ as their redeemer until he comes himself and makes himself manifest unto them. And that's probably when Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives prior to the second coming or as part of the second coming. Verse 15, and they that believe not in him shall be destroyed both by fire and by tempest and by earthquakes and by bloodsheds and by pestilence and by famine. And they shall know that the Lord God is the Holy One of Israel. Verse uh, 16, for shall the prey be taken? This is direct. Uh, this is more quoting from Isaiah chapter 49, verses 24 to 26. For shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the lawful captive delivered? But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For the mighty God shall deliver his covenant people. For thus saith the Lord, I will contend with them that contend with, with thee, and I will feed, feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh, and they shall be drunken with their own blood as with sweet wine. And all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior, and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. So these, as I mentioned, these last three verses here are to set us up for the next few chapters that talk about, uh, that are quoting from Isaiah. So um, let me just talk a little bit more about the coming of the Savior to the Mount of Olives that I just mentioned previously. Uh, Zechariah another, is another prophet who has plainly spoken of these great events. According to his predictions, the nations will gather and lay siege to Jerusalem, and this will be um, in association with the Battle of Armageddon. Part of the city will fall with dire consequence to its inhabitants. When a great earthquake will come, the Mount of Olives will cleave in twain, and the persecuted people will flee into this valley for safety. At that particular time will the Savior come as their deliverer and show them his hands and his feet. They will look upon him and ask him where he received his wounds, and he will tell him they were received in the house of his friends. He is Jesus Christ, their Redeemer. Then will they fall to the ground and mourn every family apart because their ancestors persecuted their king and the children have followed in the footsteps of the fathers. At that time shall come the redemption of the Jews. Jerusalem shall then be rebuilt and the promises that it shall become a holy city will be fulfilled. The punishment which shall come upon those who lay siege to this land will be their destruction. The prophets have portrayed this in much detail with all its horrors. And that was Joseph Fielding Smith in Doctrines of Salvation. So this is talking about the return of the Savior to the Mount of Olives um, just prior to the grand second coming that will be to everybody. And this is when the, Jew, when the Jews as a nation will be converted to Jesus Christ and to the church. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I hope you like this episode. If you do, let me know.